honor and a privilege to preach on such a great and awesome day. Uh, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Um, yeah, I became a dad not too long ago, about four months ago. So it's a, it's been a, a very good ride, apparently, because our baby sleeps quite well. Um, yeah. All right. <clears throat> I mean, <laughs> I haven't preached in a really long time. I think it's been almost like two years. So I'm extremely nervous, um, anxious, and I was actually quite happy about mm, when we started service because I only saw about 15 people. And now there's a lot more, so it's actually quite daunting. Uh, Pastor Steve, he asked me to preach about two months ago, I think it was. Um, he told me, you know, you're being a dad, so just preach on being a dad. And it just burdened me even more. It's like, I've only been a dad for, what, two months then? He's like, just share your testimony, which truth- truthfully made it even harder because I've only been a dad for two months. And now it's been four, and I'm still kind of like, no, I don't really know what I'm doing as a dad, really. But Janice and I, we got married in (laughs) February 2014. Got to get that right, or else... Oh, yeah, just in case. It says I'm the boss. I got this for um, Father's Day. It's just for today, apparently. (laughs) Um, Yeah, she's the boss, usually. Janice and I, we got married in uh, February 2014. Janice was 27, six. Sorry, she does. I count the age as the year that when you're turning, however old you're turning that year, that's what she was going to turn 27 that year. And um, I was going to turn 29. Um, I wanted to have a kid before I was 30, and so at the age of 29, we didn't really have too much time. And so Janice knew that, um, but it didn't happen. You know, I didn't have a kid before I was 30, unfortunately. But I learned to accept that, and I had to wait. They laughed because I don't pronunciate my words properly. And so I, every, I know, far out, I'm so nervous. Ah. So Janice knew that. It didn't happen. I learned to accept that. And it took exactly three years, two months, and 22 days um, before Jordan was born on the 24th of April. <sighs> Got to learn these dates. I had to wait three years, a bit over three years. And the thing is, I've dreamt about having a family. I've been wanting a family since I was the age of like 19 or something. Wanted to get married at the age of 25, have a kid, you know, white picket fans, have a big family, have a big house. And so I've been waiting. But the thing is, as a f- wannabe father and, you know, wanting a child, not once did I study on being a father. Not once did I open up a book about fatherhood. Did any of you guys as fathers, you know, our new fathers, we've got Han and, and KJ at the back there. Did you guys read a book on fatherhood by any chance? No. I was going to say, if you did, your kid's bloody lucky because mine ain't. But I didn't read anything about fatherhood. Not prepared at all. Exactly. And here I am on Father's Day trying to preach on, on fatherhood. And so... Not only am I nervous, but it's so tough. I found it even tougher, tougher, 
harder to pre- to prepare for this. Not only did I have to, not only did I not read it, read up on anything. Unfortunately for me, my my earthly father, I don't communicate with my dad anymore. My parents did got divorced when I was quite young. Um, they got back together, luckily for me, and then they separated again and got back together, separated again, and then at the age of 19, it finally finished, and which I was actually quite thankful for, actually. And so, as a father that didn't do any readings, um, as a new father who didn't actually have a dad to turn to and ask, hey, I'm being a dad now, advice, no one to turn to. Like I said, I've dreamt of being a dad and the kind of father that I wanted to be, the dad that my father wasn't to me. Because my father was extremely absent in my life. Um, Because of his work, he traveled for months at a time. And when he was home, he was physically, mentally, and emotionally abusive. So remembering my childhood and remembering my father isn't the most enjoyable time for me. And so preparing for this sermon, preparing to talk to you guys about fatherhood, it actually hurt me a lot more. I remember three distinct things about my father. Well, more than three, but these are the three things that I really remember. Firstly is that he never ate the same meal twice. And so my mom would cook him something. Next meal, it'll have to be completely different. Tiring for mom, great for me. I had a different meal every day, um, but extremely difficult for my mom. Secondly, my dad would beat me up for no good reason after a few drinks or a few too many drinks. I remember after he had his friends over, had a few drinks, it was all good. They had some leftover sashimi and he was like, go, just eat some. And I was like, oh, dad, remember, I don't really eat raw fish. And then he's like, just get in the push-up position. And I was like, okay. And then I remember just getting hammered on my ass, my bottom. (laughs) On my, the kids are gone. Uh, Getting, you know, just pummeled by a cricket bat. And I remember not screaming or yelling, just grinding my teeth away. And thirdly, I remember when he left. I remember when he left and he, he didn't leave in good circumstances. But I confronted him when he left and he told me, and I'll never forget this, he said, you'll understand when you become a father. And I was so angry. Because I was like, does that mean that I'll never understand what you go through? Like, I can understand why, but it just wasn't something very loving. I tell people a lot, of things like, you know, what my daughter will be able to do, what she won't be able to do. Like, she won't be able to go out at night. She'll have to be home before the sun sets. She's not allowed to wear makeup. She's not allowed to wear, you know, short skirts and whatnot. And my deal is that if she wants to wear it, I'm going to wear it too, just to put her off, you know. She'll have a tracking device implanted in her neck with a microphone, so I'll be able to see where she is and hear everything that she says about me and my wife. You know, I tell them, I'm only going to do what my dad did to me. And I realized how messed up I was thinking like that. You know, at um, Bible college, they say, don't ever cry when you're preaching. 
They, they, they say two things. Don't apologize and don't cry. I'm sorry. <laughs> ah. Let's look at today's passages. Uh, not passages, passage. Luke chapter 15. Because I know that I am a hopeless father. And I think I will be for a really long time. Don't know where to look. And I think the most important place to look um, at the perfect father is, is the book Fatherhood for Dummies. Okay, no one got that one. All right, the Bible. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 24. Um, everyone knows this story. Um, it's the story of the prodigal son. And so I, I don't think I'll, I'll read the whole thing because I, I promised Steve that I won't take too long today. And I feel like I didn't even bring up my watch, so I don't even know what time it is. Oh, right. Okay. All right. All right. Verse 11. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read and preach at the same time. Luke chapter five, uh, 15, verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. So, there's a father and there's two sons. The father probably worked hard, built a business, and he's expecting one day to pass this business on to his sons. Uh, verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. Now, you probably know this, but to ask your father for your inheritance before your father father, <laughs> father has passed um, is extremely disrespectful. It's basically asking him or wishing him that he was dead. But looking at it from the younger son's perspective, I was trying to think about why the son would be like this. I think I can understand kind of why, why he would ask. He's telling his dad, look, dad, we both know, both, both, both know that this family business, it's not for me, you know. It's not what I was cut out to do. It's not where my skill sets are. It's not where my talents are. But dad, listen, I've probably got a plan. I know I can probably make it big on my own. I know you're going to split this business one day. Just give it to me now. We don't have to wait. You don't have to die before I get it. And you can watch me become a great man. If you look at it from that kind of point of view, it's not too bad. Because I kind of wish I had the guts to tell my dad when I was 16 that school wasn't for really for me. My parents spent, I don't know, I would say thousands, but it's probably in the tens of thousands in tutoring, in coaching colleges, in, in private tutors, to um, make me smarter. But that's not where my talents were. Studying just was not where my skill set was. But thinking about this now with looking at my child, if my kid said that to me, <laughs> hell no. <laughs> no way. If she had the guts to say it, I guess, you know, you never know, but I'll tell them, if you want anything, you'll get nothing. You can go and make it big on your own, right? But you're not going to take my credit card that I've worked so hard to get. You're not going to be able to take my car, which I've paid for. The best you're going to get is probably a bag of clothes at best. And maybe the family pet just to keep you warm. 
The father in this passage would be hurt. The father spent years trying to help his son, and now that the son has actually grown up to an age where he can help the father with his business, he wants to leave. He wants to take half of the father's money. The father had every right to be angry. He had every right not to give him anything, to kick him out of the house. But the thing I realized about the father is that he loved his son so much that trying to preserve his relationship with his son, the relationship that he had with his son meant more to him than half his inheritance. And so the father... He gives it. We need to remember relationships are so important in life. It's what life is all about. When we talk about love, the first thing we need to know is that love extends grace. Love extends grace. No relationship can make it without grace. We are all going to disappoint people. We are all going to be disappointed by people. Grace has to be part of our lives. Because if we don't, if we can't cut them some slack, then what good is that relationship? I see grace in my relationship uh, with my wife every day. I have to be so patient with her. (laughs) It's usually the other way. I make the mistakes, actually. I'm the one that leaves the toilet seat open. Open? Up every morning. I think she fell in once. I leave the dirty dishes in the sink. She tidies up the house, cleans the house, and I come in and make it a wreck. But she shows me grace because she chooses to love me every day. People are going to make mistakes, but we still have to love them. Right now in our lives, there's probably people that we need to extend our grace to. Not because we want to, but because it is what the Father chose to do for His Son. The Father gives His Son what He asked for. He gave Him His share, like all good parents, probably hoping that the Son would invest His share as well. The funny thing is, the Father, He didn't ask His Son, where are you spending this money? Do you need a financial advisor to help you? To me, this shows that the father trusts his child. The loving father trusts his child. You cannot love someone without trusting them. If you're going to love somebody, not only do we have to show grace, but we have to show faith in them. We have to tell them we believe in you, that we trust in you. 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, It, meaning love, always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. One of the key factors that you truly trust someone is your willingness to give them a second chance when they blow it. And I see this in my relationship with my mom. Every time I messed up, she would be there to me, be there for me. Pastor Steve, he comes up with some awesome ideas, great ideas. Um, But one of the best ones we had was we used to live in the same townhouse complex a while ago. And we've got these palm trees in our backyard. And 
they produce these little fruit, like date-looking things, these orange things, and they fall down every year, like twice a year or something, and they make a mess, you know. It just it becomes really messy and it becomes dangerous as well. And so one year he decided, let's trim this tree down. Let's make it look like a toothpick. And I was like, yes, let's do that. Great idea, Steve. We rented a ladder and the guy came with his ladder and he took it off his truck. And you're, you know, I'm not a small person, neither is Steve. But the ladder was literally thinner than this. It was probably about this wide and we and my palm tree is about 10 meters tall now you can imagine either one of us being up there dangerous i was watching this happened about three months into my marriage and so steve was like you just got married i'll go up you know i've been married for long enough now that's that's not what he said but he, wa- he went up there and he, and we, you know, you would think that you would have a chainsaw. We had a handsaw. One handsaw. And he went up there and, and he got to the branch and he went, Duh! the handsaw didn't go through. He's like, it's, it's too tough. And I'm like, Steve's going to die. <laughs> I'm looking up and I'm like, I'm holding this ladder and he's not strapped in. And I'm like, he's going to die. If I had gone up there, I probably thought I was going to die too. We didn't make that palm tree into a toothpick. But the thing with Steve is, he comes up with great ideas all the time. But after that event, if I had been like, hey guys, don't trust what Steve says now. His idea is he might get you killed. And it's not trusting at all. And it's not loving. Steve, he still comes up with ideas now, and I just go along with it because I love him. Looking back at my childhood, I think being trusted would have been a huge, made a huge difference in my life. Um, I was never trusted to go to the library to study. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have. But if they let me go enough, I would have eventually studied. The gift of trust is one of the gifts of love, and I think that's something special as a father that a father can give to their child, to know that the father trusts their child. So the younger son, he gets his money, leaves, goes far away, and he starts living it up, starts spending like crazy, buying up camels here and there, and then eventually he runs out of money, then to top it off, in verse 14, it says, And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. Suddenly he had no money to even buy food. So what do you do when you're out of money? You get a real job. But the economy is so bad, unemployment rates are probably sky high. No seek to help you out. Verse 15, So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. No one gave him anything. He was so hungry, he was tempted to eat what was being fed to the pigs. The food being fed to the pigs was better than what he was getting, which was nothing at all. He wasn't even worth the pig's food. 
But verse, four, uh, verse 17, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my, of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? One day he comes to his senses. He remembers that he has a father, and his father has workers that get fed. He decides to go back home, apologize to his father, and ask if he would allow him to work just like one of his servants. Verse 18, I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am not no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed. I can see that love, love perseveres. Love looks forward. It's not stuck in the past. The father had persevering love for his son. Because the passage doesn't tell us how long the father had waited. It could have been months, could have been years. But the father, sitting by the window, maybe he's on the footsteps of the house, looking down the road that his son had left. One day he sees a figure coming down the road, clothes probably all dirty, ragged, smelling like pigs probably exhausted, thinned out. But as the figure gets closer, the father begins to run. We all know this story. He is a well-dressed man, running, probably with tears coming down his face. Like this father, some of us need to make that journey down the road to meet somebody who needs our forgiveness. What do we see coming towards us? Is it our hurt that's keeping us from seeing somebody else in need, in need of forgiveness? The father did not know what kind of son he was going to meet when he started running towards him. The son did not know what kind of father, did not know what, the father, what his father was going to say. His father, who had every right to speak first, to yell, to scream, but he said nothing, but he simply embraced his son in 1 corinthians chapter 13 verse 4 to 8 it says love is patient love is kind it does not envy it does not boast it is not proud it does not dishonor others it is not self-seeking it is not easily angered keeps no record or record of wrongs love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth it always protects always trusts always hopes always perseveres love never fails This, God is seeking men who will have this love for their children and their wives. In John chapter 15 verse 12 it says, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. It's so simple, so easy, but to me it's, it's hard. Because honestly, I am far more interested in you loving me like Jesus loved you than I am in me loving you like Jesus loved me. Let me repeat that. I am far more interested in you loving me like Jesus loves you than I am in me loving you like Jesus loved me. The Father gave half the... 
halved his inheritance and he did not get a single cent back. The father let his son walk away dressed head to toe in the best clothes with so much in his bank account that we could just dream of. And here is the father now on a road with his son who smells like a dumpster, dressed in rags, filthy. But the father, he could have lectured him. I told you so. I told you so. You should have never left. You deserve to be in those clothes. Instead, verse 22, it says, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his head and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. The father declares to the world, quick, get my son the best robe you can find. Bring him out, bring out the new shoes, put a ring on his finger to show he belongs to this family. Let's get the best steaks, let's have a great barbecue, let's celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. This father was not trying to expose his son's failures to the world. Instead, he was offering protection and covering. He didn't want anyone to see how far his son had fallen. He wanted them to see a son that was back and on the rise again. There are so many times the father could have given up on his son, but he chose not to. He was determined to keep on loving against all odds. Learning to love is one of the single greatest lessons in life. Learning to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Learning to love your neighbor. So as a new father, when Steve asked me to preach on being a father, I honestly had no idea. At the beginning of the year, uh, Steve asked us to write a letter for all the leaders. He asked us to write a letter to ourselves. And all I did was cry and cry and cry as I read that letter. Cry Tears fell down, I wiped it away, tears came back up. Because there's so many things I want to be as a father. Wanting to give my child everything she needs and everything she wants. To provide her with the best things in life. To prepare her for life. And then Jordan was born. And I'm preparing for this sermon. And I just cried. I just cried. Literally, Friday night, just kept crying. My wife, she messaged me or called me. It's like, how much of your sermon have you done? It's like, nothing. I've just cried. (laughs) Just cried. I finished up work really early that day too, so I can work on it. And all afternoon, from one till about five, I just cried. I cried thinking about the abusive father I had thinking uh, how messed up of a person I am. 
and for me to be now a father. How difficult it is going to be. It is going to be for Jordan. But after all that, I look towards the heaven. I look up and I read this passage. And then I see our heavenly father who teaches me grace. Who teaches me love. And then I think and I pray for my daughter and I, and I, and I thank God that it is not me. It is not me that has to do it all. It is not just myself and my wife that has to bring this child up. But she is in God's hands. And so that's all we need, to trust in Him. Just because I have a daughter doesn't make me a father or a good father. It's something that I need to work on. And so I pray that I will read the Bible, and that I will look to my God, my, my Heavenly Father, and I will ask Him for advice.